Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Grace. Glory to God. So today we'll be reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And if you have your pew Bible with you, you can open to page 1023. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the reading of his word. Amen. Before we get started, let me say that these flowers here are placed by Paul Stanton in honor of his wife, Debbie Stanton, for their 29th wedding anniversary. We celebrate with the Stantons today. What an incredible week we have had, church. We have had the privilege of saturating our community with the gospel through sharing and serving. You gave, you sacrificed, you shared, you listened. You represented Jesus Christ well in our community, and I just want to say thank you once again. Thank you for making Jesus so precious. Thank you for taking the Great Commission so seriously. If you're a guest with us today, maybe someone invited you through the car wash or VBS or random act of kindness or, or we did work on your home uh, what, or, or whatever the reason, but you came as a result of Grace Gives, can I just say we are thrilled to welcome you here today. We are so thankful to have, have you here. It doesn't matter where you've been in life, we want you to know and to experience today the transforming love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Today we kick off our summer series called One Another, One Another. And, and throughout this series, just a reminder, we're going to do a, a community art project. It's in the hallway. As soon as service is over, go out there and you'll be able to, to play a part in creating this art project that we're doing together as a church family. One Another, we're looking at the commands in the New Testament that teach us how we are to live with one another. Because let's face it. The thing that makes church so difficult is that there are other people involved. <laughs> We're looking at the commands in the Bible, the commands in the New Testament like this week, love one another or welcome one another or teach one another, show honor to one another, exhort one another, serve one another. From a big picture, these commands show us that the gospel doesn't just offer us a personal relationship with God, which it does. It also ushers us into this intimate relationship with the family of God, the church. And how we live together in community, in this wider community, is the most compelling way to show the transforming power of the gospel. So today we begin by love one another. 
love one another. Francis Schaeffer famously said, love is the final apologetic, the final proof of the power of the gospel. Where did he get that from? He simply got it from Jesus who said in John 13, right before he leaves his disciples and goes to be arrested and and ultimately is on a cross, he says to his disciples and all of us, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, in other words, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus knew that love is the foundation of life with him, and it's the foundation of our life together. Because love is at the heart of the Trinity. That is why the Christianity's understanding of God is so unique, that God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and there was love existing before He created. God did not create you because He needed love. He created you because He already had love, and it was out of the overflow of His love that He creates us. Christianity is much more than love, but it is nothing without love. Christianity is much more than love, but it is nothing without love. Let me ask you, before we get into the text, let me ask you to kind of use your imagination, use your kind of your thinking cap, your, your memory lane here. Can you remember a time in your life when you felt most loved, most secure, most adored or appreciated? Can your mind just quickly go back to maybe you were a child and it was something a parent said to you or, or a teacher said to you or, or, or maybe something that was written. Maybe it was a special moment, a graduation, a birthday party, a wedding. What was it? Do you just remember? And it could have been just a quick moment or maybe it was a season where you felt in this moment, I, I feel completely loved. I remember standing in front of a church On June the 8th, 15 years ago, kind of like this right here, I was about to get married, and they opened the doors, and my bride was standing there waiting to come down. And the look on her face, she was so excited, so full of joy, she had no idea what she was in for. (laughs) Truly. But in that moment, it was like, I was like, wow, you're that excited to marry me? I felt so loved, like I was the most important person in the world. Here's what I want you to understand today. God loves you with an everlasting love. You've already heard that in the songs and in the, in the scriptures that were read. It, God loves you with a love that overflows from within himself. And when that love gets inside of you, it, through the new birth or becoming a Christian, you cannot help but share that love with others. That's the point. Let's learn what, what John tells us here in this text. Lesson number one, God's love in us empowers love for one another. God's love in us empowers love for one another. This section of John's letter is a call specifically to love one another. That's been John's thing ever since the gospel of John and in his epistles, love one another. But here in this passage, he does more than just give us a command to love. He's giving us a compelling motivation for what makes love possible in the first place. 
Look again at verses 7 and 8 of 1 John 4. He says, beloved. Notice that? He's even modeling the kind of love he's teaching us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, God because God is love. He says, let us love one another. Why? For love is from God. In other words, love has its source in God. The word for love here is the word agape. It's the Greek word uh, referring to not romantic love, that's a different word, and not friendship love, that's a different word as well. He's not talking about the feelings of love here. Please understand that. He's not saying love as if when you say, oh, I, I feel so in love, or, you know, agape love is not that. It's unconditional, total commitment. Or as I like to say, agape love is defined as loyal love. I am 100% loyal to you, never wavering. Look, I could say that I love vanilla ice cream, because I do. I know that that sounds kind of ordinary, right? Come on, aren't there, you want a fancy flavor? No, just give me the, the, the main thing, the basic thing. I love vanilla ice cream. But look, I don't have a loyal love for vanilla. Sometimes I do betray her and go for butter pecan or salted caramel. I do not have agape love for vanilla ice cream. Agape love is a love that says, I give all of myself to you no matter what. It's more like the vows that are spoken at a wedding. For better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health. In other words, you're saying, no matter what comes, I don't even know what's going to happen, and yet I'm making a vow right now that I'm going to be committed to you. John is saying that kind of love, this love, this agape love originates in God himself. God is love. Here's this point. The people who are called to love the way God loves are the people who have experienced God's love. He's not saying you have been loved like this by God, now imitate that love. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you have been loved by th like this by God, and now that love is in you. Literally, we are, we, are, we are united to Christ. We have union with Christ. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. His love is in us. We are in his love. And because that love is in you, it can now flow through you to others. That's the power of God's love, agape love. It literally empowers us, enables us to love one another. Since God is love, those who have a personal relationship with him have the power to become loving people. Notice what John says. He says, loving one another also demonstrates that we have been born of God. He's talking about the new birth. Jesus said uh, that you have to know him, you have to be born again spiritually. And love is a demonstration of the new birth. It shows that you're a true Christian. Not only that, he says, love also demonstrates that we, look, know God at the end of verse 7. Know is the word for intimacy. Our love for others reveals a growing intimacy that we have with God. 
So, if you have a desire and ability to genuinely love others, if you have this, this, this something in you just driving you to serve others, sacrifice for others, uh, forgive others, bear with others, the reason you can do that is because you've been born of God and know God. His love is flowing through you. Love is a measure of your spiritual maturity, which is why I want to ask you, do you have God's love in you? And are you showing this kind of love to others? There's a danger in misunderstanding verse 7. Some might read it and conclude, okay, anyone who loves must be a child of God, regardless of whether they believe in Jesus Christ. But look, that would take this verse and strip it right out of its context. 1 John 3, 23, just a few verses earlier, John said this, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. John makes it clear here that a true child of God, a Christian, believes in Jesus Christ by faith, and that faith flows into love for others. Some might still respond and say, how do we make sense of people who, who do love others but aren't Christians? And that's a legitimate point. Because we, we have to acknowledge this morning, sometimes non-Christians seem to be better at loving others than Christians. How do we explain the, the love that they have, that they show? And the answer is, it actually proves the Christian doctrine of, of common grace. What do I mean by that? Christianity teaches, the Bible teaches that all humans are made in the image of God. No matter what you believe, no matter what your background, you are made in the image of God. Even though we are stained by sin, we all still have the capacity to love. But look, human love, no matter how noble, always, always falls short if it refuses to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our supreme object of affection. So, love by itself cannot save someone from the condemning nature of sin. Love cannot compensate for the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. So we can conclude, love alone is not the sign of being born of God. It's love that is rooted in faith in Christ. That is a sign of being a Christian. Notice verse 8, he says it in opposite terms. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. A lack of love in your life may very well be evidence of a lack of relationship with God. Without true knowledge of God through His Son, Jesus, you simply cannot and will not express agape love for others. You see, a lack of love says a lot about what you believe. It is right and good to, to do things like sing songs of praise to God and to study the Bible and to pray and to participate in Bible studies and small group. Those are all good things. But in the midst of all that Christian activity, if you are not loving the people the way God loved you, then something is seriously wrong with your beliefs. That's what John is saying here. Notice he says, because God is love. What does he mean by that? It is, it is really unique in the Bible to say God is and then attach some kind of adjective. He doesn't just mean God is loving, although that's true, nor does it mean that love is one of God's activities. It means God, it, all that God is and all that God does is rooted in love. 
For instance, God is holy, but did you know his holiness is rooted in love? God is just. His judgment against sin is rooted in love. That's what it means to say God is love. His mercy is rooted in love. His forgiveness is rooted in love. God's love, agape love, is very different than human love. Human love is usually what I would call response love. We love in response to something we see in an object or a person, right? I love her because she is kind. I love him because he is faithful. But God's love is never in response to something. It is always an initiating love. It comes first. God doesn't love someone because they're lovely. He loves someone and that makes them lovely. God, look at me. Look at me. If you've been sleeping, wake up. God loves you because of who God is, not because of who you are. And you might think, well, that's kind of demeaning. No, it's freeing. That's good news because it means you never, ever have to earn his love. You never have to prove yourself to him. I had the privilege of being in the delivery room for each of my three children. I got to deliver my oldest son. That was really cool. Anyway, but I can tell you this, that in the delivery room, when those children are born, I've never even met this person before. I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know what they're going to be like. I have never even seen them except in my, my wife's belly. But there they come out, and in that first movement of holding that baby, guess what? I'm enthralled. He didn't do anything. She didn't do anything for me. All they're doing is crying and they're needy and they're dirty and the rest of my life it's going to be pure joy. Pure joy. (laughs) I loved them fiercely from the first moment I met them. They didn't do anything. They couldn't prove themselves for me. I simply loved them because they were my child. If you're a Christian, that's how God loves you. And that divine love is now in you. You get to experience it, to rest in it, rejoice in it. And now God's love in you will empower you to genuinely love others. That's what John is saying. But not only that, John makes very clear, lesson number two, that God's love is defined and demonstrated by the sending of Jesus Christ. In verses 9 and 10, John explains what he means by saying that love comes from God and that God is love. He makes it very clear, God sending his son Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration of love. In fact, it is the definition of love. Verse 9 In this, the love of God was made manifest or revealed among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's love is defined by the sending of Jesus to live, die, and rise again to offer what he says, propitiation for our sins. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But please listen to me carefully. God's love is what initiated the sending of Jesus on his great rescue mission. 
Not his wrath, not his justice, not his judgment. It was love that drove God the Father through the Son by the Spirit to do what we could never do on our own. And then when John says in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved, what is he saying? He's saying any true definition of love must start with God and not with us. You see, part of our problem as sinful humans is that we want to define love from our perspective and in our terms, don't we? Because it's a lot more convenient. It feels a lot more freeing for me to define what love is and to experience what I think love is. And that's why there's slogans like, love is love. Friends, that's simply not true. God is love. He defines love. He explains love for us. Let me ask you this. If you, if you think love is love, how can we possibly think we can define true love? Look at all the brokenness in our world. All the wars, all the crime, racism, greed, the betrayal, the deception, the selfishness. Isn't it all rooted in our lack of love? We want love more than anything else in the world, don't we? And yet at every turn we are prone to not give love. To say, me first, serve me. No, we have darkness. And that's why Jesus comes to give light into our darkness. God's love is the light we need. God defines love according to the terms that are right and good and true if we are willing to humbly receive it and experience it. A couple, th- a couple things here we learn about God's love in verses 9 and 10. First, God's love was a public affair. It wasn't private. It wasn't hidden. God was not afraid or embarrassed to go public with his love and to declare his love for you. That's why he says he sent Jesus into the world. That's how he made his love manifest. He went public with his love. Did you know that? He's not embarrassed to say, I love you. You. And it's not me saying it. It's God literally saying, I want you to know how much I love you. Son, go down, show them my love. It's incredible. We take it for granted, don't we? We think it's, yeah, yeah, God loves me. No, you don't know it if you can say it like that. God's love was a public affair. Secondly, we learn that the nature of God's love is that it is self-sacrificing for the benefit of others. This is incredible. He sent his only son to make propitiation for sin. When someone commits an offense against another person, isn't it the offending person that should seek to make amends? Not the one who's been offended, but the offending person. Look, if I go up for whatever reason, I don't like a song that Pastor Andrew sings today, and I go up and I smack him on the arm, or worse, if I go up and do that, I should be the one to go apologize, shouldn't I? I should be the one to repent and ask for forgiveness, no matter how bad the song was. That's not on him. (laughs) Just kidding. Right? It's I'm in the wrong here. I'm the offending party. He shouldn't come to me. But with God, he turns it around 
He doesn't wait for us to come to our senses and realize, oh, we need to seek for, we need forgiveness. No, he comes to us. We've offended God. We've literally slapped God in the face with our sin, with our rejection, with our rebellion. And what does God do? He comes to us. He makes the first move. And not only that, he gives his life for us. He dies. That is self-sacrificial love. That's the love of Jesus. God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sin. What does that mean? It means Jesus came to take the punishment for our sin by removing the wrath of God that was on us because of our sin. This removal of sin by taking away his wrath flows from his love. Don't forget that. Do you see how even when he's talking about justice, God's justice, he's showing us his justice is rooted in his love. This is really good news. God comes down to us when we weren't looking for him. God literally knows the worst thing about you, the worst things that no one else knows. And he still loved you enough to suffer and die for you. He died for people who don't even love him, who don't even love one another well. This is what makes Christianity so radically different from every other religion. It's the only faith that says you do not come to God with good works seeking approval. You could never be good enough. Christianity is the only faith that says God comes down and gives his life for you because he loves you. And it's only, the, it's only faith that says you can't earn his love and forgiveness. You receive it as a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We talked to many people this week at Grace Gives and talked to them about eternity and their destiny and, and heaven and hell and what do they believe now. And the vast majority of people, no matter what faith background they have, have told us, and this is from testimony of hearing people literally say, how do you know you'll go to heaven when you die? How do you know you'll be with God? And they say, we believe that we're a good person. I've tried to follow God. I've tried to be a, a loving person. And that's what's going to get me into heaven. Friends, that will not get anyone into heaven. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If that is your standard, if you have that standard, you get in. Who's the first person to raise their hand? They have no sin. That means we need a Savior. And that's why Jesus came, to take the judgment against sin. We know God either has to be ju ju just, just or not. If, if someone were to come into a courtroom and having done horrible things, and we were to say... Ah, it's okay, you get in. We would say, hey, there's no justice there. We need God to be just, and we need him to be the one who justifies sinners like us. And that's what Jesus does in taking our place, his self-sacrificing love. We need a love that never fails. And that's what Jesus is offering you today if you are humble enough to receive it. Jesus isn't just a moral teacher who comes to show us how to live loving lives. No, he's a savior who comes to live the life we should have lived, to die the death we should have died, also that unloving and selfish people like you and I can be rescued by this radical, generous grace. Let me ask you, do you need to trust Christ today as your savior? 
Do you need to receive this love for the very first time? Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've grown up with it, but you've never actually embraced it by faith. You've never actually internalized it. It's always been external to you. Maybe you've been hanging on to your parents' faith, but now today's the day where you say, I want to trust Christ and experience his love for me, unconditional love, love that is, it is for me now and is for me eternally, and it comes by humbly receiving Jesus as your Savior. Not by being good, but by trusting in Jesus and his goodness on your behalf. This is love defined and demonstrated by God sending his son. And then third, the goal of loving one another is to make God's love visible. Look at verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us or lives in us and his love is perfected in us. John is seeking to arouse a wonder and an awe at the magnitude of God's sacrificial love so that our response would be, how could we do anything less than love one another? That's what he wants to inspire in us. Do you see? It's the abundant love of God that creates the desire and the ability to love one another selflessly. Listen, the law can't do that. Me getting up here and telling you, love one another, will not give you the motivation to love others. And the fear of punishment can't do that either. I could say, you better love her else. But we know all we're thinking of is the, how do I get out of the or else part? Fear will never lead to genuine love. He says that just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I cannot guilt you or fear you into loving, and God doesn't either. He simply lavishes you with his love. He loves you first. And the more you experience that love, the more that love fills your heart, it compels you to live a loving life. Don't miss this. This is so important. When he, notice when John, he's not saying, if God so loved us, we also ought. Notice that word ought. We ought to love one another. He's not saying we ought to imitate that love. The point of the incarnation is not imitation. When John says ought, to, we ought to love one another, he means ought the way birds ought to fly. He means ought the way watermelon ought to be sweet. He means ought the way the sun ought to shine. Do you see? They ought to do those things because it's in their nature to do them. Christians ought to love because it's in our new nature to do so. We are born of God. God's love is in us. Therefore, we are being who we were created to be when we love. No, the goal of incarnation is not imitation. It's transformation. Not only that, if we love one another with this kind of self-sacrificing, self-giving love, John says God's love abides in us. It literally lives. It's alive in us. He says, no one has ever seen God. 
You and I have never laid eyes on God, not yet. But did you know when believers love one another and love those around us, we're making God visible? We're making his love visible? People all around the world, maybe you even said, if I, just don't, if I could only see God, see him somehow, I would believe him. And, and God says, I will show you how you can see me. I will birth the church and the church will be my people, my hands and feet, my body, my living stones, my bride. And you will go out and you will love one another and through your love, they will see me. That's God visible through our love. And his love is perfected in us. When believers love one another, we're making, we're, reach, we're allowing God's love to reach its full purpose and goal in our lives. But let's, let's be honest with each other. Loving others this way is really, really hard. Victor Hugo famously said, you can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Love will always cost you something because it's a self-sacrificing love. Are you willing to pay the cost to love others? Are you willing to absorb whatever cost it will be to you emotionally, financially, in your time, in the ability to offer forgiveness, in whatever it looks like to love someone, it will cost you something. Are you willing to offer that kind of love to others? We know firsthand from this last week of Grace Gives that love will cost us something. Many of you sacrificed your time. You could have been working. You could have been on vacation. You could have spent hours doing something other, other meaningful activity, yet you chose to serve our community with the love of Christ. Many of you have sacrificed physically and emotionally. Washing cars is hard. I have a blister to, to prove it. And you're like, oh, you got a little blister mark? No, it hurts. Some of you have much worse, tearing down bamboo, fixing fences, right? Some of you, I, I, we reached the end of our week and my wife and I were like, we are literally emotionally and physically exhausted. It was hard on our bodies. Keeping up with kids at VBS and sports camp or any other camp can be draining. Visiting people in nursing homes and, and listening to people who are hurting and share their stories, it's hard to do. But look, as a church, you chose to do it. You are willing to love. Praise God for a love that is, that is able to say, whatever it costs me, my love for you is greater than the cost to me. Because God's love for me is in me. I've been given this unconditional love. I want to share freely. Are you loving others with this kind of self-sacrificing love? This is important because someone could ask, well, what if I don't feel God's love? Maybe some of you right now this morning are saying, okay, when I feel God's love that you describe this, this awe and wonder in my heart, then maybe I'll, it'll drive me to love others. What if I don't feel God's love? Then what do I do? Here's what I would say. Take a step of faith. Take God at his word. Begin to so, show genuine love to others even if you don't feel this overwhelming sense of God's love right now. Act even before you feel it. Because listen, the Christian life often works this way. Often it's in the acting by faith that you experience the wonders of God's love anew.
Some of you can testify to this. Some of you did on Thursday night at our testimony service. You didn't feel like going to VBS. You didn't feel like preparing the lessons. You didn't feel like washing people's cars. You didn't feel like doing home improvement work. You didn't feel like doing all these things, but you did it. You lived by faith. And guess what? God did something in your heart, didn't he? He gave you a love for those kids. He gave you a love for the people in our community, a love for the hurting, a love for your fellow church members. Some of you didn't even know other church members. You're like, oh, who are you? I don't know who are you, but you got the tires, I got the wheels. We should probably know each other. Wow. And then, and then you realize, like, you too? You're part of the family of God too? And in that love welling up inside of you for others, it hits you anew. That's how God feels about you. That he delights in you. He wants to spend time with you. He loves you more than you can imagine. He's not been waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. He's been waiting for you to admit your need for him so he can pour out his unmerited love yet again. Please hear me, church. This week, your love for one another and for our community made God's love visible. Be encouraged by that. God used you to show the people around you that his love is generous, his love is unconditional, his love is patient, his love is joyful, his love is enduring, and his love never fails. But listen, I said from the very beginning of when we launched Grace Gives, that Grace Gives is not an event, it's a, it's a lifestyle. Grace Gives is not only an event, it is a lifestyle. And so here's what I ask you as we close. Will you love others in this church family this week like you loved them last week? All the things you did to to serve others, care for others, and share with others, are you willing to do that? Will you love people in our community this week like you did last week? It might look different. You're going to go into the office maybe on Tuesday and it's going to look different. Are you willing to love the people in your very own home this week the way God has loved you? You say, well, when, when she gets her act together, I'll love her. When he acts, does the things I want him to do, then I'll love him. When my kids act right, when my parents... No, that's not how God loved you, is it? No. He says, you, you, wh- what were you doing? You were acting crazy, and I loved you. You were acting like a a mad person and I loved you. You were rebelling against me and I came after you. Now go do that for your family members and see what happens. Yeah, it'll cost you. But the joy, the freedom, the hope, the love of God in you flowing to others, it is transforming love. And in so doing, we will make God's love visible. Don't ever forget, that's a privilege. Grace Baptist Church, Let's love one another. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that we can gather like this, sitting at your word, under your word, submitting to your word, not to my words, not to what Grace Baptist Church thinks, but for you, Almighty God, our loving Redeemer, to let you speak into our hearts as the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, 
God, we are desperate for your love to fill us. We are desperate to to feel, to experience, to bask in this great love you have for us. Lord, I am talking about the one topic in in Scripture that feels like we're, we're standing at the edge of a cliff. How do we describe something that is beyond description? How do we describe a love that we've never experienced from another human? How do, we, how do we put into words, into picture, a love that never fails? When all we see around us and all we've ever experienced is failed love. Father, this morning we come. Some of us come who, who've never trusted in Jesus to experience your great love, your forgiving love. I pray that now would be the moment that they reach out, they cry out to you in faith. Maybe they don't have all their questions answered. Maybe they don't have all their ducks in a row, but they know this, that they're sinful and they need a Savior to make them new. God, would you move in their hearts, no matter how young or how old, God, would you work in their hearts right now? Maybe this be the moment where they experience the transforming rescuing love of Christ. God, for our church family, I give thanks for the love that I see and and, and experience already, and I'm asking, Father, that you would keep pouring your love out so that it it would motivate and empower us to love others as you have loved us. God, this community needs it. Our world needs it. We need it from one another. Lord, we admit we're out there and it's a battle. We get beat up. The last thing we need, Lord, is to come into here and get beat up by each other. Lord, I beg of you, keep, keep transforming this church into being the, the kind of loving church that will be a city on a hill that people will look to like, they, like the testimonies this week. Why would you ever give something free? And we can look and say, because we love you. Help us to do that for one another. As we enter into this time of communion, Lord, prepare our hearts. Help us to examine our hearts. Help us to think about the ways in which we have failed and then run right back to you and say, Jesus, we thank you that your forgiveness is full and free. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.